It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are having a birthday, if you're just tuning in. 90th, 90th anniversary of WTMJ Radio. We are 90 years old today. There's going to be various special programming. I have a special surprise guest coming up uh, about 11.07, right after the 11 o'clock news. Hondo, everybody's asking me about this. Our, our salespeople are stopping me in the hall, going, "Who, who, who is who is this guest?" I said, "Well, if I told you, if I told you who it would, it would. If I told you it was, it would be a surprise." Yes, you you don't know who it is. Absolutely, we are keeping everybody in the dark. But eleven oh seven this morning, you want to tune in? So that's. I, I was having all sorts of speculation. Is President Trump going to come back on the air? I mean, that you know, Governor Wall. Who who are we going to? Brett Favre. Who are we going to have? Well, you're going to have to be tuned in. Um, 11.07 this morning, we have a special surprise guest. I, there's people gathered outside our broadcast window right now. Just everybody scratching their heads saying, who is this surprise guest? Well, you will not be disappointed, but you're going to have to be listening at 11.07 this morning as we celebrate our 90th birthday. I'm going to actually offer some comments on that. I um, At some point in time in the program, this is, uh, I've just started, I'm in my 20th year here. It, time just flies. I mean, my I came over part time uh, part time in July of '98, and so I just had my anniversary. So this and this, the show full time uh, November first of 1998. So it's um, time certainly flies. Okay, we start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. Big story number one: something that you should care about. If you drive a car and you ever use the freeway in Milwaukee County. Now, there's this whole brouhaha going on. The state budget is tied up. I think it is an embarrassment that the Republicans in the state Senate and the state assembly, working majorities both, can't get together on a budget agreement. It is frustrating. At the end of the day, they will get something done, but it should have been done several weeks ago. All right. Part of the hang-up, probably the largest hang-up, is how do we pay for road improvements? How do we continue the various projects that have been going on? Right now, if you look at the freeway, they are working on expanding the freeway, the I-94 South Corridor, um, from essentially Milwaukee County down to uh, the Illinois border. There's the ongoing project, the seemingly never-ending project, involving the zoo interchange. And then there is another, what I believe, crucial component of the freeway work around here, which is the expansion of lanes from the Marquette Interchange out to the Zoo Interchange. Um, The argument would be that if you, okay, fix 94, okay, you've got the Marquette Interchange has been reconstructed, you expand the, the freeway going south, you work on the zoo interchange, but you don't do anything with the stretch of road between, again, the Marquette Interchange and the zoo interchange, and, and you've just created a, a bottleneck. Think of it in terms of, I don't know, a sewage drainage system. All right, you've got big, big, big wide pipes at the beginning of the drainage line. You've got wide pipes at the end of the drainage line, but in the middle, you've got tiny pipes. Well, what's going to happen? You're going to have stuff clogged up. So there's been talk for the longest time about expanding, again, I-94 West. Almost everybody, except the hardcore, we don't like the freeway types, acknowledges that 
in order to deal with the current traffic. Anybody ever been stuck on the delays going west? Yeah, can I see that show of hands? And also traffic in the future. And I understand there's some people who think that um, magically we're going to all get out of cars, but that's not reality. Anybody who I think is grounded in reality recognizes that you need wider lanes. You need more lanes going eastbound and westbound between downtown and between the zoo interchange. That project is on hold right now, held hostage, number one, to the transportation budget, and number two, held hostage by the threat of lawsuits from some of the environmental groups and some of the people who live along the way who, again, don't want to have any of the property taken to expand the freeway. Now, the interesting development here is State Senator Alberta Darling, who's the co-chairwoman of the legislature's budget committee, said that she is extremely worried that the Federal Highway Administration might withdraw its approval for rebuilding I-94 between those areas if lawmakers don't sign off on beginning the project as part of the stalled budget program. If the Federal Highway Administration puts off the start date for that project, um, the cost, which is now estimated to be $852 million, would um, go up dramatically. In addition, if this happened, um, if this happened, there could be concern as well about the, if any federal money going to this, whether that money would disappear. So, I mean, Alberta Darling is saying, look, if, if we don't get keep this project on track, um, it, it could, in fact, be dead. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think if you're talking about economic development in southeastern Wisconsin and the ability simply of casual people to get around, you have to do this freeway project as well. I understand that this is going to be a more controversial one than some of the others that are already in the pipeline because, again, you have the you have the primarily environmental activists, the folks that don't like freeways, who are trying to block this and undoubtedly, you know, will go to court to try to do it. I think, however, it would be a huge, huge mistake to not continue to move forward with this project. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. For those of you who drive this stretch of freeway. Does it need to be expanded? And anybody who's ever been stuck in a traffic jam following a collision or when it rains or when it snows, I'd in particular be interested in what you think. 414-799-1620. I think it is important not to take this part of that project off the table. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 842. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Billy the Brownie scoots. Good night. Sleep tight. Sweet dreams. And so, off to happy Christmas work I go. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Green. Thanks for spending a few of the last 90 years with WTMJ. 40 of them with me. And let's go for 90 more. 
It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, 90 years ago today. The Brewers are now two-thirds of the way through their longest road trip of the year. Tonight, they begin the final leg in D.C. against the Nationals. Jeff and Lane are live from our nation's capital at 530, sponsored by Delta Dental. All right, big story number one. State State Senator Alberta Darling, who is on the Finance Committee, who is, I think, very frustrated that the budget was due July 1st, but they can't get it done. She's saying, look, if we delay funding the freeway expansion between the market interchange and the zoo, um, it, it, we risk losing federal approval, which means we put the whole project in jeopardy. I think that would be disastrous for the area. Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, well, I attended a listening session at State Fair Park several months back, and actually after talking to some of the civil engineers there with the DOT, they kind of explained to me that this wasn't going to really be a silver bullet to just get rid of all the traffic. Uh, basically, it would cut a couple minutes off the commute time, but it's going to alleviate some of the other areas that maybe people were taking to get downtown or get out of mm-hmm. downtown. Uh, anybody who's familiar with economics is, can understand this concept of equilibrium. If people realize that it's a little quicker to get on the highway now and take, take that the highway to get downtown, they're going to do it instead of taking other areas. Yep. Really, the primary concern of the DOT is safety. Some of these on-ramps and off-ramps are not the safest, right. and that was really the, the concentration of this project, not cutting down commute times. So anybody who thinks that this is going to cut down commute times, they're, they're going to be disappointed. Well, I think what it will do, though, is maybe not the typical commute time, but I think it will... Right now, when you have the bad weather or when you have the, um, again, the collision that occurs there, it'll provide an opportunity for that. Now, thanks for, but I mean, I mean, right. They're, they're, I'm not saying, and I don't think anybody from the DOT is suggesting that if you do this, it means that, okay, it's going to be automatically free-flowing stuff. But I think the reality of what you have going on here is that you, you have a freeway system that was built decades and decades ago, and it was built to handle the car traffic there. That that has changed, and I believe it is going to continue to grow, especially if this area grows. And I will tell you something. If, if we are fortunate enough, and yes, I say fortunate enough, to land Foxconn, I mean, you're going to need, and assuming that, you know, they're looking at putting it somewhere in southeastern Wisconsin, I mean, a lot of the speculated sites are you know, down in Racine County or maybe Kenosha County. If we are fortunate enough to uh, to land Foxconn, that's going to put even more pressure on the ability of people to, like, travel the roadways. Because my guess is that there's going to be a lot of people that get jobs at Foxconn. Let us say, for the sake of argument, they locate this in, this huge employer and all the other spin-offs that I think will follow um, down in, just for the sake of argument, Mount Pleasant, the, the, one of the areas that they're talking about. Well, a lot of people that are going to work there are going to, I suspect, come from the northern part of Milwaukee County or come from um, Wauwatosa or come from the west. And this this stretch of freeway, that will be one of the ways that they would hook up to that. So, again, I think you have to be forward-thinking. Now, one of the things that the DOT did in an effort to try to make this more palatable is they have reduced the width of the lanes. Now, I, I think you know that's going to be something that some people are going to have to get used to, but that means that when they go ahead with the project, it's going to involve less taking of land. I, I just think it is imp- 
Look, if you're going to, I have no problem at all doing the I-94 south to the freeway, to the to the Illinois line. I have certainly no problem with what they're doing with the zoo interchange. I want to get it done, as anybody who drives through there on a regular basis knows. But it just makes no sense to me to not do this other intermediate step as well. Jerry in Mequon. Jerry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. How you doing? Hi, I Jerry. Two, uh, two points. Um, one is anybody who drives uh, between the Mitchell and the zoo every day knows that it's a major bottleneck around the, uh, around the stadium where it goes down the three lanes there. Uh, I know it's been floated to do, to do shorter lanes in there, uh, but to Eric's point of safety, uh, I don't think uh, that's a great idea. I think we need to seriously consider um, being respectful to the families and the loved ones that have folks buried there and come up with a plan where we can have uh, some of those graves move to make sure that those lanes are safe and um, so you'd expand it, you'd widen it even more than they're planning to widen it. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, my second point is uh, I think Tom Barrett needs to swallow his pride and consider using some of that money up from the rail car <laughs> to help whatever financing deficiencies we have to keep this project uh, on board. Because uh, the, the number one thing that's going to help our economy is, um, you know, Right, people being able to get in and out and moving around. No, th- thanks for go- no. Look, I mean, here, here's just kind of the reality. Tom Barrett, for whatever reason, isn't it funny how so much stuff always comes back to the streetcar? Tom Barrett has decided he wants his legacy to be this stupid streetcar, and it just it is it's actually beyond me. Especially when you look at the way you know these trolleys are, are failing in other urban type of areas but but he wants this to be his legacy i continue to believe that 15 or 20 years from now if martians land in cathedral square park and watch this trolley which if it is operating 15 or 20 years from now i will be stunned probably there's still going to be nobody riding on it my belief is the martians are going to look around look at this find out how much money was spent to build it and then leave the earth convinced that at least in milwaukee there's no sign of intelligent life i believe that that's what is going to end up happening and, you know, it would be interesting, you know, we've taken all, the argument we hear is there's all this federal money, and if we don't spend this federal money on this, we're going to lose it. Well, yeah, it, it would have been interesting if some of that could have perhaps been diverted to, you know, I don't know, help help build the roads or something like that. But Barrett doesn't want to do that. So that that's just not going to happen. This is his legacy. He wants that, you know, he wants to be Trolley Tom, and he this is going to be his solution. This is going to be how he's remembered, which may or may not be good. I guess time will tell. But I guess the bottom line of all this is I think Alberta Darling, Senator Alberta Darling, is on to something. As part of any overall budget package, we have to, I think, keep this stretch of freeway moving along. Now, I'm not... I'm not arguing that maybe as far as priorities go, because you know that there is going to be litigation, and, you know, callers were alluding to that. There's going to be litigation to try to tie this up, and and that's fine. But it seems to me maybe it's a battle that you still have to fight. I don't think you can take this project off the table because, again, it just doesn't make sense to me to improve the zoo interchange so traffic can get through faster, improve I-94 down to the state line so traffic can get through faster, but then take this key element, this key part of the freeway system that people use in going through Milwaukee County, through the zoo interchange, through the Marquette interchange, and not improve that as well. It's 853. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two is coming up. I'll give you a hint. If I was the Attorney General, if I was the Attorney General today, I would not be the Attorney General tomorrow. We'll discuss. Stick around.
It's 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers, that comes at a price tag to you, but if it saves a life, is it worth it? Should first responders be equipped with a bulletproof vest when they're out on the job? Some communities are beginning to implement the policy. Discuss during Scafidi and Billstat. It is 1.50 this afternoon. Um, I, I was listening to our, our news earlier this morning, and they were quoting the police chief as as how um, as to how the, the investigation into the the death of this six year old boy Justin Evans Jr. on Saturday night how how it's progressing how it's proceeding and the police chief appropriately saying this is a priority we're not going to rest till his killer is brought to justice. Uh, Justin was the young man. This was Saturday evening. He was about to leave on a fishing trip with his stepdad when he was shot and killed in his grandmother's yard again Saturday evening. He'd been running up to the house to say goodbye to his mom before he he was shot. So I, I I don't know. They're not saying whether this was, I don't know, a, a drive-by shooting that hit the kid or whether it was people shooting each other blocks away or whatever. No, we, we don't know that yet. Um, he is the city's youngest victim to die by gunfire this year, and there's there's a complete investigation going on, as I appropriate, expect there will be. You know, you've had marches. Again, you've had this community outrage, all of which is completely appropriate. Here, here is the troubling thing, though. All right, the shooting was Saturday night. It is now Tuesday. And what I'm about to say is not a criticism of the police department or the DA's office at all. It is disgraceful. It is disgraceful that the people responsible have not been arrested as of yet. Here's what I say that. There are people in this community who know who are responsible. That that's that this is I refuse to believe there were witnesses to this. I there you know, people after these types of shootings, the people who were involved, the shooters, they talk. People know, at least some people know who is responsible for this. And I, I suspect that some of them are cooperating with police, maybe some of them aren't. But the truth of the matter is, if you're going to start and I was saying this yesterday, if we're gonna get a handle on violence in the community, it starts within a community. There's only so much the cops can do. And I'm critical of the DA's office, and I'm critical of the judges, but it starts with the community coming together and being willing to cooperate. There are people in the community who know who is responsible for shooting this child. And um, I know some are cooperating. My guess is some aren't. But the reality is, you know, whoever was involved in shooting this, I'm sure there are people who knew this and who it was immediately after this happened. And now, okay, this is Saturday night. It's still Tuesday morning. It's not a criticism of the police. It's not a criticism of the DA's office. But, you know, people need to come together. And if you want to get a handle on violence, it starts with people who have knowledge of folks committing crimes, who stand up and say enough is enough, we're not going to tolerate this, and providing the information to the authorities so the authorities can get people who shoot six-year-old kids off the street. It's 8.59. This is Jeff Wagner coming up next. Big thing number two, if I was the Attorney General today, I would not be the Attorney General tomorrow. Stick around. It's 908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Today is our birthday. WTMJ turns 90. We'll have special programming all during the course of the day. 1107, I have a special surprise guest getting all sorts of uh, different speculation as to who it might be. Nope, nope, nope. We're not going to tell. You just have to be listening at 1107. Who would we reach out to to celebrate? Could could it be President Trump? You know, who knows? Could it could it be one of our various U.S. senators, Governor Walker, a sports figure? I don't know. Somebody that's I don't. I just think of all the great news people that I've worked with over over the years here at WTMJ. Maybe somebody who who knows? 
Who knows? Tune in at 1107, and you will find out. All right, uh, big story number two. Uh, The president continues his tirade against Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Now, let me me kind of remind people of the background of this. Uh, Jeff Sessions, who was, before becoming the Attorney General, was a senator, long-serving senator from Alabama, Before that, he was the U.S. attorney um, for one of the two districts in Alabama, um, and he'd been a U.S. senator for forever, I mean decades. He was one of the earliest supporters of Donald Trump. Now, keep in mind, I know a lot of people just just forget about this, but at the beginning stages of the Republican campaign – for the Republican nomination, there are lots of people who just, you know, wrote Donald Trump off and said there, there's no way that this guy can get the nomination. And matter of fact, I, I was one of them. Well, he surprised a lot of people. Jeff Sessions was one of his earliest and most ardent supporters. Sessions hopped on board the Trump train before it was popular to hop, hop on board the Trump train. And, you know, Jeff Sessions, like I say, he was a former U.S. attorney, been involved in law enforcement issues for for decades. Once President Trump took over, once he won, um, he was one of Trump's closest allies. Trump tabbed him to be the attorney general of the United States. Sessions left his very, very safe seat in the U.S. Senate to take over as the attorney general. And um, it was controversial because there were, remember, there were the long knives out for Jeff Sessions, and some people just didn't think he was, oh, they looked at stuff he did back when he was the U.S. attorney in the 1970s or early 1980s, and they thought, okay, this should be disqualifying. But after a relatively bruising confirmation battle, he became the attorney general. Since he has been the attorney general, he has been, in my opinion, the epitome of a, a Trump loyalist. He has pretty much up and down um, done what you would think the administration would want an attorney general to be. Now, attorney generals serve at the an attorney general will serve at the pleasure of the president, but at the same time, you also have a commitment to the Constitution and to the law of the land. And, and Sessions, if you look at the things that that he has done um, at the Justice Department. Since he has been there, I mean, it's been pretty much an an up and down the line. It has been a a list of defending controversial Trump policies like the um, the the ban on people coming in from six different countries. You know, they've been litigating that Um, you've had a sweeping review of police reform agreements that punished uh, police. Um, he's been going after the so-called sanctuary cities for harboring illegal immigrants. He's been involved in helping roll back a series of Obama-era civil rights actions that a lot of people, including myself, believed were overreaches. Um, and, and in general, Sessions up and down has done what I think a lot of people wanted to see the attorney general do, especially after Loretta Lynch and Eric Holder during the Obama administration. He has been in every way, shape, or form, in my opinion, opinion he has been a, a loyal soldier and he's also been the embodiment of what you would expect from a conservative attorney general working in a conservative administration all right donald trump as frequently happens with donald trump has soured on the attorney general donald trump 
is very, very unhappy that there is this special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, the special counsel. It's the same thing as a special prosecutor, you know, poking around into these Russian ties. He doesn't like that. He is unhappy because one of the reasons why there is a special counsel slash prosecutor, special prosecutor, is that Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, recused himself, said because he felt that he had conflicts, he is not the guy that should have led the investigation. And so what happened is his deputy attorney general then appointed the special counsel, Robert Mueller. So Trump doesn't really have any control over at all over the special counsel, and he's clearly fuming that there is this investigation that's going on. So this has apparently created a rift between the two men. For reasons that pass understanding, I understand why why the president might be upset with the attorney general. Okay, I, I get that. But for reasons that pass understanding, a few days ago, President Trump decides to give an interview with, of all people, the New York Times. Of all people, the New York Times. And in this interview, he essentially lifts his leg and pees all over his loyal supporter, Jeff Sessions. Talks about how he would never have appointed him if he had known that he was going to recuse himself and fumes at this particular decision. Now, I understand why you might want to say something like that privately. Why you would go public with this is absolutely beyond me. And if you were going to go public, why you would choose the New York Times of all places, uh, uh, an institution that you have declared to be your mortal enemy, it continues to be beyond me. So you now have the President of the United States ripping on his Attorney General in the pages of the New York Times. It doesn't stop there, apparently, because yesterday um, you have the president again going after the attorney general. He calls Jeff Sessions our beleaguered attorney general, our beleaguered AG, and then um, goes on to rip Sessions for why he's not looking into crooked Hillary's crimes and Russia relations. Right. Well, OK. First of all, as a former federal prosecutor, it is un. I, you probably I was going to say unprecedented. That's probably inaccurate. But the idea of the president of the United States suggesting or directing or expressing distaste or dislike or disapproval of his attorney general for not conducting an investigation into the activities of one of your political opponents is extremely scary. This, I mean, it's kind of like the Nixon enemies list. Hey, let's go out and have the IRS look at this type of person. You know, for the president of the United States to say, I'm not happy with my attorney general because he's not using the power of the federal government to go after a political opponent of mine is, is just scary. And I'm sorry, I, if you're a Trump supporter, fine, I get that. But this is a scary sort of thing that's there. So then there's speculation out there. Um, the, the, the latest theory is that what President Trump wants to do is he wants to fire Jeff Sessions, appoint somebody else 
who doesn't have the conflict into the Russia investigation that Sessions has, follow me now, who would then come in and fire the special counsel. Say, okay, you know, the special counsel was appointed because you had an attorney general that had a conflict. That attorney general is now gone. I have a new attorney general in, and that attorney general will fire the special counsel because there's no longer a conflict. Follow me? And then the logical extension would be the president might have more control over the new attorney general and certainly a lot more control over than he has over over the special prosecutor. That's the theory that's going around. Ted Cruz, of all people, who was um, involved in the campaign against Donald Trump, Cruz is one of the names that is being circulated. He's an attorney. He says, look, I, I want no part of this. A lot of the Trump supporters are saying, well, we, we think the president needs to go really slowly on this because, you know, Jeff Sessions, aside from your concerns with him about Russia, Jeff Sessions has done a pretty good job, and the conservative base is is pretty happy with him. But it is very clear that the president has lost faith in Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, to the point that he is taking to ripping one of his own cabinet members publicly, which, again, I don't want to say it's never happened, but I don't remember it happening. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I were the Attorney General, if I were the Attorney General, I wouldn't put up with this. I, I would, after being ripped by my boss publicly in this fashion, and I would have done this after the New York Times article came out, and I would have done it after yesterday, I would have just, I had a letter of resignation saying, Mr. President, I recognize I serve at your pleasure. Obviously, you have lost you know, confidence in me. I think I've done my job to the best of the, my ability. But, you know, I'm not going to twist in the wind. I've got a life is short. I've got a rich career full of all sorts of opportunities that are out there. And if this is the way you are going to treat me, I'm out the door. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I don't care whether Trump fires Sessions or not, lets him twist in the wind. If I'm Jeff Sessions, I'm I'm gone. And again, I I will take no position on whether Donald Trump has a legitimate beef to be upset with Jeff Sessions. Should he have told him in advance that he would have to recuse himself? I I th- maybe that's a legitimate beef. But this idea, this idea that um, you're in a situation where your boss is dumping on you in this fashion, I wouldn't tolerate it. And here's the other thing that's out there. Who wants these jobs? One of the problems with the Trump administration, they can't fill jobs because a lot of qualified people don't want to work for this administration. And this is exactly why I think a lot of people don't. 414-799-1620. If I was Jeff Sessions, I'd be out the door. I wouldn't be allowed to twist in the wind. And if my boss, the President of the United States, has lost confidence in me, fine, I'm history. What would you do? We talk about it next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 920. This is Gordon Hinckley, and thank you for joining us. This program has come to you from Milwaukee's Radio City. Happy 90th birthday, WTMJ. This is John Merck here, and we couldn't have done it without you, our listeners. It's 922, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Mark and Mequon. Mark, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Donald Trump feels he's above the law. He doesn't have to pay taxes. He can talk about made in America, and yet he makes his products overseas, his daughter's products overseas. He um, does 
he does everything he can to say he's the dictator. And it doesn't work that way. We have a constitution. It calls for checks and balances. There are three parts of the government. Mm-hmm. You may have a Republican House and a Republican uh, Senate, and you may even control the court now. But certainly there's some people who will report to their constituents, not to Donald Trump. If well, Donald Trump says, I want it, that doesn't mean he has to have it. Yeah, I, see, I just think it would be politically disastrous to, to dump Jeff Sessions, for example, who is beloved, in by, at least by conservative Republicans across the country and by senators, to dump him if it's part of this convoluted scheme to end up getting rid of, thanks to the code, to get, end up getting rid of the, the, the special prosecutor. I mean, I think that's, and maybe President Trump doesn't care about, you know, those type of issues. But, I mean, here you have somebody who is incredibly qualified, who has done, you know, what you wanted to do, and who is running the Justice Department like you would expect a conservative attorney general to do, and you've decided to publicly hang him out in the wind to drive. That's why, like I say, if I'm Jeff Sessions, I'm not putting up with it. I mean, I'm, I'm just not. I would have I would have quit earlier this week. I would go on and say, Mr. President, if you had problems with me, I wish you would have kept this in-house. I would have been more than happy to tender my resignation. But th- this constant you going out and ripping on me publicly, what does that what does that accomplish? Where that doesn't get us any closer. If you've got part of the scheme that you want to get rid of the special counsel and that's the key to that is getting rid of me. Fine fire me or better yet here is my resignation but i wouldn't put up with this and again the the larger point is i think this is why the trump administration is having difficulty and here's the reality they are having difficulty finding qualified people to fill not cabinet roles but but again at this point in time who wants to be the attorney general if this kind of stuff is going to happen to you show me somebody that wants to sign up for this and i'll show you somebody that's crazy but it's one of the reasons why they're having so many people that are having trouble they're having trouble filling all these these different jobs um i know Locally, for example, U.S. attorneys, there were a lot of people who would be extremely qualified who chose not to even apply because they didn't want to get involved in stuff like this. Dick in Grafton. Dick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Jeff, I I think that that, um, Sessions is is kind of caught in a catch-22 situation. Being attorney general is a really big deal. Yep. And... I would have to think the little bit I know about him that this is the capstone of his career that he probably expected never to achieve. So here he's in the job. It's he's what five or six months in as attorney general, and now he's having these issues. So he sits there and says, "Look, I don't. I shouldn't be treated like this. The president of the United States should not treat me like this. He should not treat any member of the cabinet like this." It's like you said. If you got a problem with me. Call me into Prevence, right his office, right. And, 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 and chew me out. You don't even have to do it in the Oval Office. Right. But on the other side of the coin, here Sessions sits there and says, look, i I got to stay on. If I leave, it's going to be a disaster for the administration. It's going to impact the country. I'm here. I'm here to make a difference. I know what kind of difference I want to make. I've watched the last however long he was in the Senate. And I know what's wrong at the Department of Justice, and I want to change that. Yep. So, so, so he's sitting there, like you know. Yep. I hate to use the analogy, riding a fence, but at the end of the day, 
I think that he's, I personally think that he's got to write it out as long as he can because eventually, uh, and, and he may be, somebody's going to go into, into the Oval Office and pound their fist on the table and they're not going to call him Mr. President. They're going <laughs> to call him Donald. Right. And they're going to say, look, you've got to get your act together. This is not Yep. Oh, I'm sorry, Dick. Your, your cell phone is cutting out there. I, maybe, and I and and I understand that maybe that's the idea that you said. I've signed up for this. I understand. I've got to put up with the public humiliation. And all, maybe so. Jeff Sessions is 72 years old. I think he, you know, and you're right. I think this is probably the capstone of the career. But I guess all I'm saying, and I, and right, it would be tough to give up that job. But at the same time, I guess I'm still looking at this, and I'm maybe you think I got to stay stay around here because you know the country needs me. I can't, you know, it creates a constitutional crisis if we allow you know the president to come in, appoint some figurehead who is then going to fire the special counsel, and we're looking at the whole Saturday night massacre thing all over again. And that will be bad for the country. And I understand, and I, I believe Jeff Sessions is a patriot. Maybe that's what's going through his mind. I'm saying if that's the case, though, he's a better person than me because Sessions is 72 years old. My guess is he's got all the money he needs. He's had this incredibly prestigious career. My guess is he can do anything he wants moving forward. I'm just saying if it was me, I wouldn't put up with the BS. I just wouldn't. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 935. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Just a couple final thoughts on what we were discussing with President Trump and Jeff Sessions. If President Trump's unhappiness with the attorney general is because the attorney general recused himself in the Russia investigation, and now you have a special prosecutor, and Trump thinks that if it was the Justice Department running it, he could have more control over the investigation into his acti- his activities. That is a scary prospect, and no prosecutor should put up with that. If President Trump is unhappy with his attorney general because his attorney general so far has not launched criminal investigations into the activities of political opponents of Donald Trump, and he's unhappy with that, that is a scary prospect as well. It it just is. It's not the way the system ends up working. But, 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 I understand if if he's got a beef with Jeff Sessions saying, hey, he should have told me that he was going to recuse himself, I I think that's fair. I just don't think the, the public airing of this does anyone any good. And like I say, if I was... If I was Jeff Sessions, I'd, I'd be done. I just wouldn't put up with it. Um, some of our texts, Chris texts, regarding Sessions and Trump, what is really hard to understand is that Trump fails to see the global view when it comes to dealing with people. Politics is not a zero-sum game. You have to work with people you might not like. He has a habit of burning bridges really fast. I'm sure Sessions is hanging in there for career purposes. I would just add that he's 72 years old, you know, so um, it's anyone's guess how long he will last. Greg and Appleton texts, as a reluctant Trump supporter, more appropriately a never Clintoner, I have kept the opinion that as bad as he is, as incompetently as he's running the White House, at least he's better than Hillary. I'm really beginning to question my thinking on that. Dan texts, if Trump fires Sessions, lots of luck getting a replacement confirmed. The first question the Democrats will ask a nominee is whether they would fire Mueller. Um, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's going to be the operative question as well. Um, another text here. The president demands loyalty from his underlings, but it's a one-way loyalty. You must be faithful to Trump, but he will kick you to the curb in a heartbeat if it suits him. Yeah, and that's – see, that's what's the frustrating thing about Sessions. 
I think, and, and it's one of the, the real problems that President Trump has, and one of the reasons maybe he's trying to publicly rip him to force Sessions to come in, do what I think Sessions should do at this point, which is just resign, because Jeff Sessions, former senator, very, very well-liked by members of the Senate, extremely well-liked by many members of the House, and very, very well-liked by the conservative base, who as a general rule, and again, the way he's run the Department of Justice has been pretty much up and down the line, like I said, like you would like to see a conservative attorney general run the um, run the Department of Justice. He's litigated and defended administration policies on issues that I think are important, like, again, sanctuary cities. He's rolled back a lot of the more egregious um, Obama actions. Um, he's been pretty much a conservative loyalist, and President Trump is angry about this ongoing Russia investigation, Russia, Russia, Russia. He is obsessing over it, and um, he's taking it out on on anyone he can find, including in this particular case, um, one of his most loyal supporters. Be interesting to see how this plays out. Like I say, if I was Jeff Sessions, I wouldn't put up with it. 72 years old, um, probably have all the money you need. I don't know, go back to Mobile, Alabama, um, act as a consultant, play golf, enjoy life. Life is too short, in my opinion, but I guess he'll have to decide. All right. Big story number three. And by the way, this is our 90th anniversary. We're having a birthday party here. I am told there is cake at 11 o'clock in the morning. I am told that there will be cake. Now, we're going to be on the air at 11 o'clock, so we, Hondo and I get you know, shut out of the cake, but that's okay. Um, 11.07, I've got a special guest. There's lots of speculation. People are sending me texts. Who is it going to be? We've got a special guest to celebrate WTMJ's 90th anniversary, so be tuned in for that. Big story number three. How does Ozakington County sound to you? Or Dodgington? Or Washa-Waukesha? Washa-Sha. Um, I, I bring this up because Washington County is, you know, openly the it, it is openly talking about the need to consolidate services between the counties. Let, let's face it. I mean, government, the, the reality of government in 2017, the reality of a lot of places in 2017, is that you have to figure out ways to do more with less. And so there's this ongoing effort to try to say, okay, how can we save money? Well, one of, one of the best ways to save money is to try to find what I will call the economies of, of scale, merging services so you can get rid of of duplicative efforts do you need for example um and i'm just going to pull this out of the air okay does washington county and ozaki county two neighboring counties do they each need their own county sheriff's department i mean do with with each one with its own county sheriff each one with its own administrative level, each one with its own personnel people, all those things. And again, I'm just pulling this out as an example. But, I mean, do you need both of those infrastructures? Or could you get by with one sheriff's department, with one sheriff, not two, and then one set of administrators, one personnel department, not two, one payroll, all those type of things? Could you do that without 
putting, for example, residents in, in danger? You know, could you, in fact, consolidate, get rid of some of the duplication, have a more efficient system, admittedly bigger, but more efficient because you get rid of, uh, again, some of the redundancies? Now, I bring this up because interesting story in the Journal Sentinel. Um, the county board's executive committee in Washington County, I mean, think West Bend, Washington County, and the county administrator have invited counterparts in Ozaki, Fond du Lac, Dodge, and Waukesha to consider discussing everything from sharing services, um, consolidating departments, and perhaps even redrawing maps to essentially say instead of two counties, let, let's just have let's have one bigger county. I guess I never realized that um, um, it was 164 years ago that Washington County, what Washington County originally was Washington County and what is now Ozaki County. They split off Ozaki County into a separate county, um, and that was 164 years ago. And I love Ozaki County. Don't get me wrong; I love Washington County as well. Spend a lot of time in Washington County now, but you know the the County, the folks on the county board, the executive committee, and the county administrator say, hey, you know, maybe it's time to put the pieces back together. Maybe Humpty Dumpty has fallen off the wall. Maybe we should put the pieces together. You know, maybe, you know, it's given, you know, the different financial realities that we face. Um, you know, maybe, maybe what we can do is we just unite these counties again. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I'm not sure that it you need to go as far as merging, for example, Washington County with Ozaki County or Washington County with Dodge County. I, I'm not or Dodge County with Waukesha or whatever. I, I'm not convinced that you need to go that far. But as far as a wide ranging analysis of what you can do by perhaps merging services i i think it's actually the way to go and i think it's responsible nobody wants to put public safety in danger all right nobody wants to have a situation where you you have you know people who now have to wait inordinate times for you know various services but at the same time is there anything wrong with consolidation of various departments um do you need multiple libraries, you know, or or separate libraries? Could you merge those, for example? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think everything needs to be on the table. And while I don't think you need to do away with Ozaki and Washington counties or Dodge County and Waukesha County, I do think there is perhaps something to be gained from saying, can we share services and can we save money? And I applaud what they're doing in Washington County to say at least let's open the dialogue. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 945. If you're on the phone line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Swing and a drive to center and deep. Going to get up. Get up and get way out of here and go. Happy 90th birthday, WTMJ. This is Len Casper. It's an honor to have been on this historic radio station. Here's to another 90. It's 
949, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I miss Lenny. I, I just, I, I very much enjoyed working with uh, Len. Let's see. Packers training camp opens later this week. Wayne Larrabee and Journal Sentinel beat writer Rob Reichel offer an in-depth look at each position and share a candid conversation on whether this team is Super Bowl worthy. Check it all out in Wayne's podcast, The Play-By-Play, up now at WTMJ.com and the WTMJ mobile app. All right. I Credit where credit is due. I I think Washington County, the executive committee of the way too big county board out in Washington County, and uh, the, the county administrator are doing absolutely the right thing. The, they recognize that there, there's no appetite for tax increases right now. I mean, there's no appetite in Washington County, for example, for putting doing what Chris Abley did in Milwaukee County and putting a, a wheel tax on cars and making them pay extra for registration. There's no appetite for that. There's a limitation on what you can do as far as raising the property tax. So that means you have to be creative. And one of the things they're doing is they're saying, hey, look, let's go forward and let's try to analyze, can we enter into partnerships? Can we enter into sharing agreements with some of the neighboring counties, not Milwaukee County, but Ozaki County or Dodge County or Waukesha County, where we combine services. So you don't have, and again, I, I'm using the example of the Sheriff's Department. I don't know if that's the one that makes the most sense. But do you need an Ozaki County Sheriff's Department and do you need a Washington County Sheriff's Department, each with its own separate infrastructure, or could you just have one larger department? Um and again, these are all the different questions you have. You know, you look at different municipalities. Does each municipality within the county, do you need to have your own separate police department? I mean, just asking. Here's on our text line. Let's have a real conversation. We need to start consolidating school districts, fire departments, libraries, county, etc. We don't need more money. Start consolidating. We can do that. Everyone wants their own little entity. Well, tough, we can't afford it. Here's an example. This is the texter. Why don't we have 72 why why don't we have why do we have 72 county emergency government departments? It's a waste of money. We could have 30 of them and do just fine. We don't have catastrophes every day in Wisconsin separated by population zones. I work in government. Believe me, it can be done. Here's an example. Three local townships recently built three separate buildings that hold meetings once a month for, you know, $600,000. They could have built one and shared the operating costs. The buildings are all within a two-mile radius. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's you know, that's an outstanding point. I, I love libraries. I, I do. But, I mean, I, I look, you know, in some areas, you know, you have three libraries all within a three or four or five mile radius. Well, okay, do you really need three libraries with all their separate infrastructures within the five mile radius? I just throw those different things out. But just because we have always done something one way doesn't mean that we have to do it in the future. I am not advocating something that puts people in risk. You know, all right, if you consolidate these fire departments, well, all right, houses are going to burn down and people are going to die. I'm not advocating something like that. But I do think, you know, looking at these different partnerships and saying, can we merge these things? Okay, the emergency services thing might be a classic example of that. You know, in if you've got Dodge and Washington and Ozaki County, do you each need, you know, those three separate departments or could you have one 
bigger one that still provides all the different services that you need but can do it at less cost. That's what we have to be thinking. And again, I give credit to Washington County for at least opening the dialogue. And I hope folks in Dodge County and Waukesha County and Ozaki County, you know, get on board. Just saying. It's 952. This is Jeff Wagner coming up in a couple minutes. Uh, we've got a special retrospective. I want you to hear it. Stick around. 953. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. <laughs> It's 9.56, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. As we've been telling you, this is the 90th anniversary. This is our birthday. We're 90 years old today. Eric Bilstadt came up with a very special report. Here's, let's give it a listen. You're listening to WTMJ, the Milwaukee Journal Station. Since 1927... WTMJ has served as Wisconsin's radio station. The station's first broadcast featured music by the WTMJ Orchestra and included a remote broadcast featuring Bill Carlson's orchestra. Remember him? We had a lot of clouds today. We still got up to 55. Carlson went on to become a weather forecaster on 620 and on TMJ4. For years, WTMJ featured a mixture of music, news, and local personality. Hi, greetings, and bend an ear for the busiest program of the year. <laughs> That's right, Billy. Along with sports play-by-play. Turn on the radio. I want to hear the Packers. Gee, that's right. The Packers are playing the Bears today. Let's listen to Russ winning. Still down here at Wrigley Field, ladies and gentlemen, in Chicago. The Green Bay Packers have been on WTMJ since 1929. It's the longest relationship between a station and an NFL team. Here's the oldest highlight you'll ever hear from the Green Bay Packers. Packers and Bears from Wrigley Field, 1935. About 35 seconds left in the game. Signals called to the open. The ball goes back to Herbert. Herbert fades off to the left. He throws a pass to Hudson. Hudson takes it in the end zone. It's complete for a touchdown. And the In 1947, the station moved to its current location, to a beautiful building on Milwaukee's north side, Capitol Drive. Welcome to the ceremony during which the cornerstone will be laid for the journal's new Radio City. A radio city for all Milwaukee and Wisconsin. We're very glad to be working here tonight. Glad to be working anywhere tonight, right? Of course, you can't talk about the radio station without mentioning a guy named Gordon Hinckley. Good morning, this is Gordon Hinckley, WTMJ in Milwaukee, ready now for Ask Your Neighbor. Or Jonathan Green. Ma'am, do you even know who this guy is? No. <laughs> you don't? Nice. News <laughs> Radio 620, WTMJ. In the 1990s, the station transitioned to a more current news and talk format. News Radio 620 WTMJ's closing days of the election campaign. And of course, sports was still here too. World champion, Green Bay Packers. The Vince Lombardi Trophy is coming home where it started. Swings and there it is! A base hit in the right center. It's been a wonderful and historic 90 years at WTMJ, but none of it would have been possible without the great people of Wisconsin. Thank you. From Wisconsin's radio station, News Radio 620, WTMJ.
1009. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Mike, a lot of speculation. People are wondering, who is this? It's, of course, it's our 90th anniversary here at WTMJ. People are speculating, who could it be? Here, one of our regular listeners, he's got it figured out. Jay Marvin. He says it's, you don't even know who, you're looking at me. You I don't, don't know even, who Jay Marvin. You have that, no that idea who Jay Marvin is. That was not my guess. You, ha, you have no idea who, yeah, it's like, who is Jay Marvin? <laughs> uh, it's, if, if you are a longtime listener, yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, could be. I'm, I'm not giving any hints. I'm not getting clues. Could be J. Marvin, I I'm guess. I'm waiting with bated breath. Absolutely, as are our people. I'm on edge. <laughs> I, I, that's it. We've got, we've got, I've got salespeople coming in. I, I've got dear friends of mine, you know, who, who work here are coming in saying, okay, who is it? And I'm like, I, I can't tell you. I, you know, I, it's just 1107. It's part of our, as part of our 90th anniversary, um, we have special guests, and I, I have a special guest myself. I've been looking forward to this, so tune in at 11.07. All right, um, I've actually been waiting a few days to talk about this because it's one of these stories that that I don't have an answer for. I mean, the, the stories that I, I, I like to discuss are ones where it's a situation, it's something going on, and we can talk about what the best alternative is, and I can offer suggestions, and I can give my answer, and you can respond and tell me whether you agree with me or whether you're all, I'm all wet. Th- this is a story which has I've, I've really been thinking about for quite a while, and it's it's frustrating and it's scary, and I don't know what the answers are other than it serves as a cautionary tale to all of us. A couple weeks ago, the, the Journal Sentinel, on a front-page story, I believe on a Sunday, focused on th- this story involving a, a, a couple. Their names are John and Ginny McGowan. And I don't know them, but I know people who do know them. I, I've never met them. Um, but they go to they go to a resort um, down in Mexico um, on a beach just north of Playa del Carmen. A um, lot, lot of people go to to that that area. They go to one of these kind of all inclusive resorts, and it's um, it's you know again they're looking forward to the vacation. And, and they're there with their two children and or ch- stepchildren, um, Abby, who's 20 years old, and her brother, Connor, who's 22 years old. So they have, you know, they, they have a couple rooms. You've got mom and stepdad. They've got a room. And then you've got the, the, the son and daughter. You know, they've got their own room. So they, they get there and they say, okay, we're all going to meet for dinner 7 o'clock. And so what happens is mom and stepdad go to get ready for, for dinner and kind of unpack. And uh, the, the kids, 20 and 22, you know, they, they, go off, they go off to the pool, all right, because they've got a little bit of time. Okay, that's, that's what people do. Um, and so then, you know, mom, mom and stepdad, they're kind of waiting. Mom and dad are kind of waiting for the kids to show up for dinner because they agreed, okay, we're going to go to dinner at this time. And the kids never show up, and they never show up, and they never show up. And then... Uh, the story unfolds. What they find out that's happened is the 22-year-old woman, um, she's drowned in the pool. And the the son, unconscious, big mark on his head, all, all those type of things. And so they're like, okay, my gosh, what what's happened? And they start asking the hotel staff, and the hotel staff isn't asking, answering questions. Well, it what apparently happened is the two kids, I say kids, 20 and 22, I mean, they go to swim, they go to the bar, they have a shot or two. And then just end up blacking out. And whether they were served bad liquor or whether they were drugged or, I mean, nobody knows. 
And, of course, the family trying to get answers can't get access to police reports. The police, to the extent there are police reports, they're incomplete. There's no investigation, No, not what you would expect in a situation like this. There's not, I mean, it's not like the police are interviewing all the hotel employees trying to find out what, what happened. And they just kind of brush it off. Well, the family doesn't brush it off because the family believes that these kids were drugged somewhere along the line. The, the toxicology reports come back and they both have really enormously high blood alcohol levels, which are not, cons- I mean, I, I mean, unless the kids were just sitting there pounding down shot after shot after shot after shot, which they weren't, um, you, you wouldn't be consistent with these different blood alcohol levels. But the authorities at this resort, it appears, and with the police, are kind of just starting to brush this all over because the last thing you want to have presumably happen in you know these Mexican resorts is that the word gets out that, hey, it might be dangerous. There might be people that are out there that are drugging tourists or whatever. Well, since this story broke, um, there's now more and more you know, people who are coming forward with similar stories that, that don't necessarily end in in the tragedy of the 20-year-old young woman drowning, but they're coming forward with more and more stories saying, well, stuff like this, you know, happened to us. We were, we were, you know, having a couple beers, and next thing we know, we end up, you know, blanking out, blanking, you know, know, blanking out. You know, we don't know what happened. And, you know, it's one thing after another, which is raising kind of these questions about, it, you know, what is going on? Are there people who are seeing, like, the American tourists as being easy targets, so they're drugging them? Um, sometimes would this lead to robbery? Would it lead to sexual assaults? Are there other situations or speculations that sometimes they might be using, I don't know, really cheap, incredibly potent um, liquor marked or marketed as, hey, I'm going to have that Tangeray or whatever. It's really not Tangeray. It's some rot gut stuff that, you know, causes people to interact. But, I mean, more and more of these stories are coming out suggesting that they're, they're, if, if you're a tourist, you, you've got to be really, really careful and that there might be, should I say, a kind of casual disregard for the truth when it comes to some of these things happening, presumably, because like I say, whether it's the resorts or the police or the whole tourism industry down there, the last thing you want is word to get out that, hey, you know, you come to one of these, you know, Tony resorts and there might be something going on here. So, I mean, there's suggestions that there's this giant cover up. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that there are risks in traveling abroad. Um, There are risks in traveling abroad. But I will tell you, this story of of the local couple and their their children has really caught my attention, especially with, you know, all the other stories that are now emerging about couples saying, yeah, we went down there and the same thing happened. Uh, You know, my husband and I sit down and I had my second margarita. He had the third beer. Next thing we know, you know, we've we've blacked out. Um, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I, I don't have a specific question other than to say I view this story as as an incredible cautionary tale. Um, and, and I mean, I do think there's something going on. I don't know how widespread this is, but I think it's something, if you are traveling to these areas, 
you need to be aware that this is this possibility and i don't know how you protect against it but i i think I think there is something here. I don't believe in this particular situation that it was just suddenly this 20-year-old young woman goes out, pounds down all these shots, and ends up drunkenly drowning in the pool. I think there's something else going on there. And I appreciate the parents' frustration at being able to get answers. They've hired an attorney. The attorney's gone and looked at the police reports to the extent they are one. It's not the type of investigation. It's not conducted like you would expect a police investigation into something like this would have been conducted. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kathy in South Milwaukee. Kathy, good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, I was just calling because my niece is getting married in Cancun in um, early October. Right. And um, we were listening. There's over 100 people coming down from all over U.S. to right. Mexico. And we were discussing what had happened to... Uh, this cup or these, uh, this family. Right. And we all kind of, I was discussing it with my brother Chris, and, and we said that what we're probably going to do is to make sure that all of our family, when we go down there, we're going to actually have like a tag team yeah. uh, type thing that we are going to make sure that if any of us overdrink, um, we are going to make sure that our family members get back to their rooms safely yeah. and that no one will be left alone just for that reason that we heard but we still think that it's it's safe to go i think uh, people do have a tendency to overdrink when they go to mexico sure. especially the young kids but um this is just a little worrisome with our family um not to the point that we aren't going to go because um i've been to mexico numerous numerous times i mean i probably at least 20 times and yeah. i've never gotten to the point where this has happened but um well, no, but That's I think you're on to something, Kathy. See, and I'm not, and I, I would never encourage people, okay, go, don't go to these places. But, I mean, this is kind right. of, it's something that you don't think about. And, of course, this is every parent's nightmare. And then when you hear other right. people coming up and telling similar sorts of stories, I mean, I think you're on to something. If I was there with a big group, that that would be the same thing. Okay, we're nobody's going to be alone. <laughs> you know, we're we're, we're going to if if we're going to sit, we're going to go to the bars. We're going to go. You know, we're it's fine. But there's going to be four or five of us together because you know right. you want to make sure that. Uh, and, and maybe that's just good advice traveling in a foreign country, anyways. Perhaps. Right, I, I think so. I and we're going to be at all inclusive. So I uh, nobody plans on leaving, but. Um, uh, it's just something we we thought about when we heard that ha- that that was happening down there. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. And again, my my heart goes out to this family. I mean, it's was why I mean I was riveted by this whole story because it is so very troubling. And I understand the frustration is they're also not able to get answers. I mean, that's it. It's like. It's like nobody comes to them. They, they sort of find out indirectly after waiting and waiting, waiting, trying to figure out where their, their kids are. And, and then, you know, you find this out and then you, you know, to the extent you can get access to the police reports, which is very, very difficult. It's just uh, just a shoddy investigation where people aren't interviewed, which, again, makes you think that, all right, you've got these authorities that just don't want to deal with this issue because you don't want the word to get out that, again, American tourists who spend their dollars are, are getting drugged and robbed or things like that. But apparently, it, at least it is a it is a consideration that I think people need to, to have. Um, Pete in Waukesha. Pete, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, two words, no and no. <laughs> I would never step out of the United States to go any place if the trip was free, everything was free. I don't care how exclusive the place is. No and no. 
Well, I mean, not I, just Mexico. Any of the foreign countries we're having problems with. Why would we do that? Well, Period. well, I mean, I, I'll tell you why, Pete. Because uh, the, the world is a wonderful place to see. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking for. We're doing this river cruise. Um, you know that that's you know that that starts in that's going to be through Austria and Germany. I mean, I, uh, you know, we're going to be in Budapest. I'm looking forward. It's a part of the world that I have never been to, and it's a part of the world that I want to see. So, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to get in this position where you're afraid to travel. I mean, because the truth of the matter is, you know, stuff like this can happen to you in certain parts of the United States. So, I mean, I, I don't want to get to a point where I am afraid to travel to places. I mean, my goodness gracious, I've worked my whole life. There's a world out there that I want to see. There's places that I've read about or I've heard about. I want to go see them. I mean, I, I don't want to be afraid of that. And that's not what the purpose of this topic is, to encourage people to be afraid. But it is to, again, again, it's a cautionary tale. You need to be aware of it because these parents, these folks are living a nightmare. They, they, they just are. And you, you wonder if something like this is, is preventable. I don't know about that, but it's at least something that people need to be on alert of because it's not just apparently one family. And if authorities want to dismiss this as, okay, well, the, the young, the, 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 the kids, 20 and 22, you know, got blind, drunk, and this happened. Well, it sounds like there's a lot more to it than, than this. And you just need to be cautious. I'm not encouraging people not to go. Like I said, I want to I see the world, all right? The world's a big, interesting place, and I want to expand my horizons. But at the same time, you want to do it in a fashion that makes sure you come back. It's 1022. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1025, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, let's go to our text line. Tony texts, um, Jeff, crazy that you brought this up. Um, my friends just recently got back from Cancun, Mexico, and had a similar story. So they went to a bar, only had a couple of beers, and completely blacked out. They're both heavier drinkers, um, so they can hold their liquor, but they said they had no recollection of the night or what happened. They woke up in their hotel room. Both believed that they were drugged because they only remember having two beers at the bar by the pool. Huh. So, again, um, is is this a guarantee of what is going to hap- happen to you? No, but you just you do kind of wonder if this is something that goes on. And you could actually, I mean, again, I don't, I don't mean to scare people about this, but you could see how this happens. You know, the word gets out that, hey, let's, you know, you've got some American tourists or whatever um, here. Maybe there's, maybe if robbery is the motive, who knows what a motive would be here. Let's, and again, there's different theories. Are there people that are drugging them? Is it, you know, like really potent, uh, cheap alcohol that's being substituted, those type of things. But um, it is kind of a, a scary sort of notion. And again, more and more people are starting to come forward with similar types of stories. Does that mean that you don't go to these resorts? Well, well, no. I know that you know on any given day, there's tens of thousands of people that are going to the resorts. But it does mean you, you perhaps need to be aware of again of what's going on. Um, just kind of a scary sort of thing. And once again, my heart goes out to this local family. It just does. I can't. I can't imagine. What what a nightmare! I mean, seriously, you're you're going on this family vacation, and everybody's looking at having a good time, and then next thing you know, you're, you're there for two hours, and something like this happens, and then you you can't get answers, you can't get the closure, you know that what you're being told doesn't make any sense at all. 
Um, and, and you just can't can't have that. Um, so very, my heart goes out to him. Again, it's a cautionary type of tale. Um, a little bit later on, the, the details are still emerging. Um, the, the Senate is apparently going to vote on something today with regard to health care. Now, last week, I had the opportunity to uh, have uh, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan on, and, and Paul was expressing, I think it would be fair to say, he was expressing his frustration because the, the way it works now, the House has done something. The House has, re- has, has passed its own repeal and replace Obamacare bill. It is not a perfect bill, but now the matter is over in the Senate. Well, the way the way it works is nothing can happen unless the Senate does something. The Senate either has to take up the House bill or come up with its own repeal and replace or come up with repeal and replace later or whatever. But if, if you're going to have the dynamic of fixing health care, you have to do something. And, of course, you know everybody's got their own ideas. The U.S. Senate is kind of like herding cats trying to get on board. John McCain, who is fighting now brain cancer, is apparently going to be back in Washington today to vote on something. We don't know yet what they're going to vote on. But for people who, for example, see the headlines in the Journal Sentinel and believe them, is Obamacare failing? No. Well, all right, believe me, don't believe everything you read. As we were talking about with Glenn Grothman, the congressman from the 6th District yesterday, the truth of the matter is, unless something is done in the very, very near future, yes, people who want to have insurance are not going to have options, and then they're going to have a mess. So John McCain is back in Washington. Hopefully the Senate will do something to keep the process going. We'll keep you posted. It's 1029. It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We talked earlier about that the whole, as part of our three big things at the start of the program, about the whole uh, Jeff Sessions flap. It, it's interesting how this is developing. For people who weren't listening or haven't tuned in, um, Jeff Sessions, long-serving U.S. Senator from Alabama, uh, one of the first and most loyal Trump supporters, was tabbed to be the Attorney General. Since he's been the Attorney General, he, he's pretty much been what I, I think any conservative would like to see in the attorney general, he he's rolled back or been involved in rolling back or defending litigation against rollbacks of some of the most egregious uh, Obama decisions. Um, he's gone after sanctuary cities. He's talked about enforcing the law. He, he's done, I think, a very, very good job. He's had apparently a falling out with President Trump. We know this because for reasons that pass understanding, Trump has decided to start publicly ripping him, which is something that I think is just unprecedented. I'm not sure that, and obviously attorney generals have been privately ripped, but Trump has been doing it publicly. Trump is upset that Jeff Sessions recused himself as the attorney general in the Russia investigation into Trump's activities um, during the campaign. He recused himself because he was part of the Trump campaign. So as a result of that, that recusal by Jeff Sessions led ultimately um, to the appointment of a special counsel. And now Donald Trump is upset that there's a special counsel poking around into his son-in-law and his kid and the, the, the campaign. He's upset with that. He presumably thinks that if the attorney general was conducting the investigation, he would have more control over that. Now, that's kind of a scary prospect, number one. But he, he's upset, and he says, well, Sessions should have told me he was going to recuse himself. I wouldn't have appointed him. He says that publicly. And he, he might be right, but why, why 
Why say it publicly? And now there's this kind of scheme that's out there that um, Trump might fire Sessions. That would lead to the appointment of a new attorney general who presumably wouldn't have a conflict, and then they could fire the special counsel and then have whatever investigation was being run be run by the Justice Department. Now, that's that's the type of stuff which kind of takes you into impeachment territory, in my opinion. But beyond that... Um, it, it, I mean, how is the guy going to get confirmed? Because, you know, any, any new attorney general, that's the first question that everybody's going to be asking. You know, are you going to fire the, the special counsel? I mean, that's, that's it. Well, in any event, um, this might finally kind of be a bridge too far for the president because, uh, the, the Senate is a very, very chummy club. And Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, very, very well liked in the Senate. And there's a lot of Republican senators. Now, keep in mind, the Republican majority is relatively thin. It's only 52, which is one of the reasons why they're having trouble doing health care reform. It's, it's only 52. And in general, the Republicans, most of them have served with Jeff Sessions in the Senate for a long time. Like I said, he was there for 20 years, and they're not happy about this. For example, uh, James Imhoff from Oklahoma. I don't understand it. There's no more honorable person I've ever met in my life than Jeff Sessions. The only person who's more upset with Trump about this than me is my wife. <laughs> Ooh, happy wife, happy life. We all know that. Um, let's see. Um, the Some of the other Senate Republicans, um, you know, uh, naming names. Um, let's see. Orrin Hatch. Um, well, Trump has his tweets. That's what he does. I don't think he means harms with those tweets, but I would prefer he didn't do that. We'd like to see Jeff be treated fairly. Senator uh, Tom Tillis, North Carolina, agreed. I guess we all have our communication style. And that's one I would avoid, um, adding that the Russia investigation by an outside special counsel should proceed without interruption. The fewer distractions we have, the faster the investigation can proceed, and the less confusion the electorate has to deal with. Senator Sessions is showing the independence I have expected of him, and that is a healthy thing. Even those who said they were nonplussed by Trump's criticism made it clear that they, sat, they sided with Sessions. Um, James Lankford, senator from Oklahoma, Jeff made the right decision. It's not only a legal decision, but it's the right decision, that is, to recuse himself. So what you have is that, you know, Sessions, who's been in the Senate since 1996 and is well-liked by a lot of these Republican senators, they're kind of rallying around him um, saying, what, you know, maybe... We, we put up with a lot of stuff from the president, but this might be going too far. I don't know how this plays out, except to say, as I said earlier, if I was Jeff Sessions, if I was the attorney general, and I had my boss lifting his leg, figuratively speaking, and peeing on me publicly over the last couple days, I would have had my letter of resignation on his desk. I, I just would have. I wouldn't have tolerated it. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have waited around to be fired. I wouldn't have been allowed. I just wouldn't have let myself hang in the wind. He's Sessions is seventy two years old. He he doesn't he doesn't need the gig. He just doesn't. So um, all right, let's switch gears. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Interesting story in the New York Times, um, and this mirrors some things that have been out there elsewhere. Um, we've talked a lot about the need to connect jobs that are there with the workforce 
And, and and the truth is, if you listen to Scott Walker talk, and he's absolutely right, there's all sorts of jobs that go that just go wanting in, in Wisconsin. Employers will tell you there's all sorts of jobs that they cannot fill uh, because people either don't have the skill level, um, they don't have the appropriate training, or because of other factors. And I, I was two nights ago. I, I was with with some friends who are now retired, but who owned a series of businesses. And I, I won't go into the nature of the businesses, but they were various retail businesses. And they were telling me one of the biggest things that that happened over the course of the last thirty years is is they can't find workers, even for entry level jobs, who will show up. I mean, people apply for the jobs that you know they they come in, they work for a couple days. Maybe they show up on time. Maybe they don't. And then they just, they're just gone. And they said it's this ongoing frustration. They can't find workers, um, even paying. And we're not talking about paying minimum wages. It's just people don't want to work. And it's just a job where people want to work, have to work hard. They don't want to work hard. And that's this frustration. But one of the things, and this is the point of the New York Times story, one of the other things that is limiting employers' employment opportunities is the fact that people – can't pass drug tests. Um, New York Times, the, the story, um, they, they estimate, well, for example, they quote, they quote a guy who um, they make uh, galvanized containers and kettles. Okay, so that's what they do. They say um, the problem is, they said we're always looking for people. We have ads out all the time. We pay a good wage for this. But part of the problem is when somebody comes in and goes through the interview, all the job offers are conditioned on passing a drug test. And they estimate that one out of four people pass fail the drug test. Um, a lot of times people you know, test positive for opioids. More importantly, people you know test positive for, for marijuana. Um, somebody else says they, they interview the uh, they interview employers in the New York Times says twenty five percent that's conservative. We'd estimate that it's it's a lot more than that. Um, the Fed Federal Reserve's regular beige book surveys of economic activity across the country April May and July all noted that one of the problems with hiring is the inability of employers to find workers able to pass drug screenings, um, and so. A lot of people, myself included, would believe that, you know, one of the things that's stopping people from being able to get these good, decent, middle-class jobs, besides, you know, work ethic or training, would also be that even after somebody meets all those criteria, you've got a lot of people who can't pass the drug tests. All right, this is where the question becomes interesting. Let us assume that these numbers are correct. A quarter, a third, whatever, can't pass the drug tests. Should the employers still do it? Is drug testing something that is appropriate for the workplace, or is it limiting people's ability to get jobs? Should the employers still be allowed to drug test as a condition of offering a job? We do that. Every job at Scripps, radio, TV, on air, behind the scenes, doesn't matter. Every job offer is conditioned on having to pass a drug test. I have no idea, um, you know, I, and, and I mean, I for example, I know sometimes when they'll be interviewing for a position, the and you get the idea that, you know, somebody's been hired for a particular position or whatever, any job offer is conditioned on people passing drug tests. All right, 
Should employers, if we recognize that maybe a quarter to a third of people are going to fail because they're going to have marijuana in their system, they're going to have opioids in the system, they have something else. All right, should we do away with drug testing? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, hold on. It's 1046. This is Jeff Wagner. Hi, everybody. This is Steve Wexler. On WTMJ Radio's 90th birthday, I can't help but think about all the history that we've shared with our listeners over the years. Hey, I still remember riding my bicycle to Radio City when I was just 16 years old because I wanted to be part of this great radio station. So I'm honored to be part of TMJ's rich history and our exciting and challenging future together. Thank you for being part of the TMJ family all these years, and happy birthday to us. It's 1050, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, there are estimates out there that saying even if somebody gets is qualified for a job, gets offered the job, Somewhere between maybe a quarter and a third of the people end up failing drug tests, so they can't get the job in the first place. Should we continue to drug test? Leroy in Brookfield, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. This is Leroy. Yes, sir. I, I say get rid of the drug test unless a person is dealing with money or parcel, you know, something that they could steal and sell. Like these factories, office jobs, come on. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. How, how about how about a bus driver? Do you, a bus driver tests positive for drugs. Do you want the guy driving a bus? Uh, that's kind of bad. It, 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 I, I see where you're coming from. My answer, my friend, is no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I pray. I pray he's not high when he's doing it. Well, I, so. well no. See that? I mean, no. But that, that, thanks for the call. I mean, see that's the slippery slope. I mean, you say okay if they're handling money or parcels, that's fine. All right. Well, okay. If I'm in a manufacturing setting and somebody's driving a forklift. For example, do do I want do I want them to have drugs in their system? Um, now it, it's with marijuana. Marijuana stays in your system for about thirty days, so that doesn't necessarily mean you're high. But but it, it's a factor. Do you want to take that chance? All right, let, let's. All right, so you say okay, we don't want some. I, I think can I see a show of hands? And anybody wants somebody driving the school bus with your kids on it that has marijuana in their system? Well, the answer is probably no. Um, all right, you say okay. Well, Jeff, well, all right, let, let's let's take out the, the the driving and all, and let's take out the handling money. What about you know some of these basic sort of jobs? Well, I don't know. I mean, do you want to hire somebody up on a roof? Do you want to hire a roofer, for example, who who's got you know drugs in their system? I don't know about you. But I, I don't know that I want to take that chance. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Mike in Bayview. Mike, you're on 620 to BTMJ. Good morning. Jeff, thanks. I used to be a libertarian on it and say, yeah, they can't, yeah, employers shouldn't be able to judge what you do and all this. And then an employee at my company was in a drunk driving accident uh, with a company car. Mm-hmm. The liability that our company had to pay out the liability insurance and the insurance rates that went up that we had to pay out was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, not just to the victim of the person who was hit, but but also just the insurance rates that went up. And it's absolutely necessary and absolutely intolerable. And that's 30 years of liberalization of drug policies and saying, oh, it's okay and do what you want and you should be able to do whatever you want. Well, the employer has the ultimate say of who they want working for yep. them. Well, yeah. It's a money factor. It's disgusting. No, it is, Mike. And, and see, and what, what's interesting to me is this is the flip side. You know, we, we have this, 
I always find it interesting because every time I talk about the idea of should marijuana be legalized and things like that, I will tell you, even on my show, I appreciate where you are, where where you are, that's not necessarily you, Mike, but in general, I mean, I'd say 70% of the phone calls I get from people are, yes, we should legalize marijuana, um, it's no worse than alcohol, we should tax it, blah, 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 all, all that stuff, which is fine, but at the same time, the, the then the issue is, okay, what about employers? Do you still drug test? Marijuana stays in your system for 30 days. All right. So, you know, what what is that going to do? The people who live in the states where marijuana is legal. All right. Um, That right now, I mean, right now you can still employers have their own policies and an employer. I mean, I look, I I understand why, you know, alcohol, you don't want somebody coming to work drunk, but alcohol is going to dissipate through your system pretty quickly. Marijuana is going to stay there. Cocaine, you know, opioids, it's going to stay there for a longer period of time. I mean, do you want to do you want to be in a situation where? All right, the person that's driving the school bus or the person that's climbing up on the roof where that person has, even in their pre-employment stuff, has tested positive for drugs. So how do you do it? Hey, this is great. Colorado lets me smoke dope. Okay, well, that's fine. But what happens when your employer or the job you're applying for you know, has you pee in the jar and it ends up testing um, positive for this? Let's talk to uh, Rusty in Two Rivers. Rusty, good morning. Yes, good morning, Jeff. I wanted to chime in a little bit. Uh, I've worked in the nuclear plant uh, industry for quite a number of years. <laughs> yep. and it, is, it is required by the federal government to do uh, drug testing upon employment for all drugs. Uh, not only that, then you are also subject to random drug, drug testing and for cause testing. Right. So even, even if the nuclear industry wanted to not get rid of that they couldn't and i don't have a problem with that rusty i mean i guess i if somebody that's that's working around i don't care and i don't you know some people might say well what difference does it make if somebody's a clerical person obviously somebody who's dealing with you know you know working you know nearby the radiation but i i right if you're in see if you're in any industry i think the employer has a right to know whether or not you've got opioids or marijuana or other controlled substances in your system and I agree 100% almost across the board. Yeah, no, th- th- I mean, I, I don't care. Look, I don't care if you're the guy that works at the zoo who, um, you know, drives the train that the kids ride around. I, I don't want you to have marijuana in your system. All right, maybe that's just me being judgmental. I don't want you to be drunk at work either, mind you. Um, but it's, I mean, I think, you know, this, to me, the story here isn't. Do you want to force employers to stop drug testing? That's not it. The story is... For people who are in situations where they're looking for jobs or they're working at jobs where there is drug testing or things like that, it's why do people have such a fascination with I will tell you. I mean, I have had people come up and talk to me about applying for jobs here. And one of the things I always do, I say, look, I don't mean to be offensive, but so you know, we drug test. If you smoke pot, don't tell me whether you smoke pot or not. I don't care. But if you smoke pot... It stays in your system for 30 days. So don't bother, you know, don't bother applying for a job here and putting me down as a reference because if you get, if you're going to test positive, don't tell me whether you're going to do it or not, but it will come out. So just, you know, got to, you got to, if you're smoking dope and you want to work at one of these places, you got to, got to stay off the dope for 30 days, you know, and then presumably hopefully stay off it longer. But no, I mean, see, to me, that's the issue. It's not should employers be able to do this or not. The answer to that, I think, is clearly yes. Bigger story is what is it that we have this fascination with 
I don't know, illegal substances that people who are looking for jobs test positive at this alarming rate. All right, we got to take a break. It is 11.58 when we come back after the news. It is our 90th birthday. Happy birthday to WTMJ. I have a very special guest coming up. You do not want to miss this. Trust me, it's 1057. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is the 90th anniversary of WTMJ. We're having a bit of a celebration. They're giving away cake somewhere. Of course, we're working, so don't get any of that, but that's okay. Um, I, one of the cool things about working here, and I mean it really is cool, I, it's it's such an honor to work at a radio station that, that you grew up listening to as a, as a local kid. And I, I think of all the different things that WTMJ went through, you know, for the longest while, you know, it was music and it was news, and then it morphed kind of into a form of talk, but sort of the ask-your-neighbor type of talk. And then, you know, we started doing talk programming that was perhaps a little bit edgier. Um, lots of different talk show hosts came through the, the doors, and generally they came and they ended up leaving. And until WTMJ hit on, on a kind of format that has taken us through the last couple decades, and uh, I, I think that the person who epitomized and drove that format joins us now, my dear friend and colleague, former colleague, Charlie Sykes. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well. How do you like getting up so early, by the way? Um, I'm getting used to it. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting used. How do you like being able to sleep in? i got, I got to say it's grown on me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. didn't take you long. Hey, before we get into the, the history of TMJ, for, for anybody who hasn't been following you, is there life after talk radio? What is Charlie Sykes doing? Well, actually, I'm sitting on a TV set right now. <laughs> a, a cable show. No, I've, uh, I've really been enjoying it. I've done you know some stuff on uh, radio. I've done some stuff on TV. And, of course, uh, my book's coming out in October, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, outstanding. Charlie, talk a little bit, if you could, about what TMJ was like when you first started in the mid-1990s. Well, you know, you, you gave a, a really great summary of, of, of the past. And you and I remember growing up with WTMJ, and it was, it was, always, it was always the, I think, the standard of, of radio. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to, I try to explain to people outside of Wisconsin the role of WTMJ as a, as a legacy station. But in the mid-1990s, um, DMJ was very different than it is it is right now. I think they were trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to do with this new talk format? That, you know, with talk radio, is this is this going to stick around? Can we do that sort of thing? And there were a couple of, I would say, I think it's fair, fair to say, a few misfires. But um, it was, uh, you and I sort of established a, a beachhead. And, and to say that it was a culture shift is putting it somewhat mildly. Um, it, it, it was. when Now, you know, you, you started three, four years before I did, so you were the real trailblazer with regard to that. When when you started the program, was there a lot of, did you get a lot of blowback people saying, oh, what, what's going on here? You've got somebody who's talking about something different than how you make cupcakes or something like that. There was, but if you remember, if you remember what, what actually happened, they before I came on, they, they brought on a guy named Jay Marvin, uh, who was much more bombastic, much more controversial. So by the time they brought me on, I was the kinder and gentler version of that. So I think that Jay Marvin kind of you know, broke the glass a little bit in terms of the outrage. So that, that I, so we, did, we didn't actually move directly from you know ask your neighbor to you know let's you know let, let's talk about the, let's talk about politics and current events on a on a, on a daily basis. One of the things that I, I have found is. TMJ is different than a lot of radio stations in the sense of the connection to the listener. And, I, and I'm and i sure you had a ton of situations where you noticed that over the course of your time here. 
Well, that, that's true. And, of course, radio in general has a very intimate connection with, with folks, which you and I have talked about, that every other media is, you know, at one remove, you know, a, a newspaper or television. With, with radio, you're really, you know, in people's ears, and you establish a long-term relationship with them because, you know, number one, because you, you know, are talking for, for hours at a time, but also because of the, you know, over, you know, the, the, the conversation that, that takes place over months and over years. But, but you're right. WPMJ has always been an integral part of the community. It is the quintessential local uh, station. You know, what I think is really distinctive today, and I'm really glad that you're, you, know, you guys are all doing this 90th anniversary, to understand, you know, the role of local radio and of local hosts who grew up in the community, who are part of the fabric of the community, and how important that is and how that really separates TMJ from from almost every other station around the country. I, I know you did a little bit of this, actually a lot of this, right right before you left. But as you think back, the, the top two or three events, experiences that you were involved with during your lengthy tenure here at WTMJ? Well, n- number one, interestingly enough, is not politics, even though we had so many major events. It was, of course, the, the honor flight getting the uh, Operation Resolve uh, up and running and uh, you know, being part of seeing the community come together to send all of those veterans to see their memorials in, in Washington, D.C. But uh, you begin running down all of the extraordinary events that uh, took place during both when you and I were on the air, going back uh, to the you know the uh, the contract with America, the the, the Bush uh, recount elections, nine uh, eleven, the war in Iraq, uh, then everything that happened here in Wisconsin with with the revolutions and, and the the political revolution, uh, the the recalls of uh, Scott Walker Act ten. This has not been a boring time to be on the air. I will. Uh, I'll never forget the Amit recall. Remember that night yeah. we were at Texas oh, Victory yeah. Hall. That night, you you and I both go there, and we're just amazed. I, I thought maybe we'd have fifteen or twenty people, and there are hundreds and hundreds of people hanging from the rafters. That I, I think, in retrospect, you look back uh, on, on that. That was a real kind of a turning point for the community, but especially for, I think for talk radio um, and WPMJ talk radio, because you know that that. Whole issue. We were able to give voice to it. We were able to be the the place where people came to, you know, vent their reaction, but then also to to figure out how they could be consequential, how they could actually do something about it. And, and uh, yeah, you and I were we were we were shoulder to shoulder on that. And, and think of all the things that came from that. Think of all of the the storylines that have to be traced back. You can't understand. Scott Walker, you can't understand what's happened since 2010 without understanding what happened uh, with the aim at recall. And by the way, you'll remember this, before that happened, how sleepy local politics was. We used to joke that that uh, Tom Amon was sort of a potted plant and the, the media locally didn't pay any attention to what was happening in, uh, in, in county government. And, and yet that turned out to be one of the pivotal moments in local politics, but also state and national politics. You know, Charlie, I, I, I've, I've said this privately and I said it publicly when you're getting ready to leave. I, I've just always considered you to be an outstanding colleague and a friend and a, a mentor. And it's just when I think back on the fact that, you know, the, the longevity, you know, you working here for as long as you did. And I mean, I'm just starting my 20th year that that type of stuff where you have people that are, you know, on the air for seven and a half hours in a community they grew up in. That doesn't happen a lot. And it was very special. And um, my time has been made a lot more special because you and I got to work together. And I just I want to say that publicly as well to you. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, it certainly made it easier for my transition to know that I was leaving 
I was leaving the uh, the midday slot in such capable hands. Uh, that's great. Charlie Sykes, thanks so much for joining us. I will look forward to your book coming out once again in October. Its title, for anybody who hasn't heard yet, is? Is How the Right Lost Its Mind. <laughs> so people can, it is available for advance order now, correct? Oh, it certainly, it certainly is. <laughs> Good enough. Charlie, thanks for joining me this morning. We'll talk to you right. soon. Thanks, okay. Lydia. Take care. That is... That is the one and only Charlie Sykes. Let me. I'm, I got a couple thoughts on our anniversary coming up in just a couple minutes. Stick around. It's eleven seventeen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Third down for the Packers. Still two yards to go for the first down. They hurry to line up. About thirty-five seconds left in the game. T formation. Signals called to the open. The ball goes back to Herbert. Herbert fades off to the left. He throws a pass to Hudson. Hudson takes it in the end zone. It's complete for a touchdown. Hi, this is Wayne Larrabee wishing WTMJ a very happy 90th birthday. Thanks for spending time with us. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. It's 1120, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let me be just indulgent, self-indulgent for for a moment. Um, Last evening, I was at a Chinese restaurant downtown called Jing's, and I was there with my significant other and her sister and her cousin who is a friend of mine as well and and at one point in time her friend sister maggie knows the owner and i saw them talking and then the owner comes over and she apparently is a fan um we d- didn't want to disturb me but it was very 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 nice and we ended up taking pictures and stuff and used to watch me when i was on tv or a regular basis and, and listens and it was just it was very very sweet and i remember thinking you know this is it, it's a guy like me is just so lucky to have been able to, for the last, this is, uh, I mean, we're in the 20th season here um, of, of the show, to have been able to, you know, make a living and do a radio show at, at a station like WTMJ that I grew up listening to, and the idea that you have this chance to like, talk to people and maybe, I don't know if it's so much impact public policy or things like that, but impact people's lives and make a difference, and they listen to you. And it, it was just so, so tremendous. And I... I, I was thinking back as we have this 90th, you know, birthday, and I, when you walk into this building, there are pictures up all over the wall. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at a, a big picture of my, my dear friend, the late Gordon Hinckley, who was just so wonderful when, when I started. When I started, I really had very limited radio experience. I had done, I had filled in for a couple of years up the dial, but I, I just I hadn't done this full time. I was a lawyer, and Gordon could not have been more welcoming, or, or Jack Baker, or you know, Jonathan Green, all, all those folks. They could not have been more. Welcoming welcoming and you walk down the, these hallways that I walk every day and there's these pictures of what this building used to look like when you know this the at, at the beginning of WTMJ and then you come to the current era and I sit there and I see okay my picture is up on the wall now how how cool is that and you get paid for doing this on top of it but it is that connection to the community that I think is I think that radio has in general and that WTMJ has with the listening audience that, I mean, look, that times change, you know, formats change slightly, you know, ratings go up, ratings go down, all, all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, I, it's just been such an honor for me. It is continues to be such an honor for me to work at 
what is the what I consider to be the station of record, you know, in this community. And there is not a day that goes on, not a day that goes on, that when I come in here and sit in this chair that I'm sitting in and get ready to open the mic at 830 or, or whatever, that I, I'm not reminded of the people who've sat in the studio before and all the truly legendary figures in radio and the truly legendary figures that you have invited into your home. And I guess just it's been... Such an honor and such a pleasure to work here and to be able to have conversations with you on a daily basis over the course of now going on the last couple decades. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I used to end every program by saying when it comes to your radio listening, I, I know you've got a lot of different choices. I do appreciate you spending the last few hours with me. I don't end every program by by saying that anymore, but that's that's how I feel. And it was just it was so interesting. Jonathan Green was on the morning show earlier today. I remember John, um, Charlie, and I very very close. And I I understand that there, I still get emails nowadays from people who see Charlie on TV and you know <laughs> don't like a certain position he's taken or whatever. I'm telling you, this guy was a that guy was a driving force in this community for the better part of, of two decades, and uh, continues to be a viable voice and a good friend and a guy who really made the current edition of WTMJ what it was. So um, from the bottom of my heart, for all of you, whether you've been listening for two weeks or two years or 20 years or 50 years, um, thanks so much for listening. I do very much appreciate it, and I want to wish this radio station happy birthday and say that I, you know, I hope to be part of it for the foreseeable future. It's 1125. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven twenty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Coming up in about eight minutes. National Democrats have figured out how to solve their problems. They know what they need to do. They recognize. Now, during the Obama years, you had an unprecedented what over a thousand seats lost by the time you include like local seats and statewide seats and governorships and Congress and Senate. They, they know what they're going to do. They had a meeting. They had a meeting, and they've got a new slogan that they are going to be rolling out. That's going to solve it. They know how to communicate with the American people. We're going to talk about that slogan in just a couple minutes. The Brewers, now two-thirds of the way through their longest road trip of the year. Tonight, they begin the final leg in D.C. against the first-place Washington Nationals. Jeff and Lane are live from our nation's capital at 530, sponsored by Delta Dental. Yeah, the... uh, I don't know. It's not been a good road trip. They've lost, what, six of seven games, and now you go in to play one of the best teams in the National League. But that's the thing about baseball. You just never exactly know what's going to happen. Um, interesting story about how the, the times the times change. Before 9-11, I'm not sure that anybody would have done this on an airplane, but now... Now passengers are exercising more self-help. Here's the story. Sunday afternoon, United Airlines Flight 898, which left from Houston for New Orleans, was forced to return to Houston after a disruptive customer made a sprint for the cockpit, United said. Apparently what happened is a woman stands up, starts yelling and banging on the walls of the plane halfway into the flight. 
Colleen Bolin. Can you imagine being on that flight? You know, all of a sudden somebody starts standing up and screaming and banging on the plane. Oh, my goodness. I, <laughs> <laughs> that um, would not be good. Yeah. Um, one of the passengers says, I heard her screaming. We are all protected and loved. We are all protected and loved. The plane is going to land beautifully and kindly. Um, all right. At that point in time, the woman then stands up and bolts to the aisle and starts sprinting towards the cockpit. Okay, fine. Um, at that point in time, apparently one of the passengers who's between the cockpit and this lady stands up and says, as soon as she started running, I asked the flight attendant, can I help you with this? Do you need help? The flight attendant said, go for it. <laughs> so I gently pushed the flight attendant out of the way and uh, went after the woman myself. Apparently what ends up happening is um, a whole bunch of passengers um, it took apparently it took five men to subdue this woman, including one off-duty pilot who was seated among the passengers. She was in a very psychotic state. You think she was very aggressive? They held the unruly passenger down. Pro- flight attendants provided them with zip tie handcuffs to restrain the woman's wrists and ankles in order to keep her down for the remainder of the flight. Um, they, they turned around, but the interesting story was: I mean, here you have a bunch of the passengers obviously mindful of everything that happens see this and it's like all right you know we're we're not going to we're not going to let some crazy woman do something and you have the whole idea of the, the self-help and now they carry the ziploc ties and all those type of things so um all right if you think you had a bad flight over the course of the last week or two at least you weren't on the flight when the crazy woman tried to bum rush the cockpit but but here at least the passengers intervened. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes is the only thing that saw the only problem the Democratic Party has is it a slogan? It's eleven thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Washington County has inquired about consolidating with its neighboring counties. Is this something we may see more of throughout the state in years to come? Scafidi and Billstad think there's a reason to say yes. They'll explore at 207 today. As I was talking about earlier, one of the things um, that they were even open to is merging counties. I guess I didn't realize this, but 160 years ago, it used to be Washington County, and then they split. Ozaki County was split off from Washington County. So, um... What, what would it be, um, Washington Z or like Ozakington or something? They, one of the things they were saying is maybe it's time to reunite the counties. I don't know if it's necessary to go that far, but I do think shared services make a lot of sense. All right. Uh, the Democrats, Democratic leadership, had a, a series of meetings over the last couple days. Um, in particular, um, they went to Berryville, Virginia small town, in an effort to try to figure out why it is the Democrats have been losing elections for, oh, the better part of the the last eight years. Barack Obama, okay, swept into office in, um, swept into office in, what, 2008. Um, It was in kind of a, it was the hope change thing. It was a wave election. Republicans lost seats right and left. There was, I think, some malaise. I think people were 
unhappy with the the ending of the the Bush administration. People didn't like the war in Iraq, all that sort of stuff. So Barack Obama swept into office and brought with him a whole bunch of Democrats. After that election, um, Barack Obama continued to be personally popular, but he was never able to translate his personal popularity that led to his reelection in 2012 into success for the Democratic Party. As a matter of fact, Democrats, it's pretty much been a, a wholesale electoral slaughter since 2008. You know, I mean, you had various wave elections, and I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the exact numbers, but, you know, Democrats lost control of the U.S. Senate. They lost control of the House of Representatives. They've lost control of, of governorships. And then it goes on and on and on. And so whatever Barack Obama's personal popularity was, he, he was never, never able to, to replicate that, and it, it's hurt the Democratic Party. So the Democratic Party is trying to figure out, okay, where do we go from here? You've got a controversial president who has a 30-some percent approval rating in the polls. Now, of course, you know it's July of 2017. The election isn't until November of 2018. That's the midterms. So who knows what's going to happen over the course of that time? That's a lifetime in you know political years. So different stuff can, of course, happen. And the fact that even though you see these polls that say, well, the general public just generically would rather see Republicans in Congress than Dem- Democrats control Congress than Republicans, well, okay, that, that's this generic poll. But then when you ask people about their own congressmen, they say, oh, we, 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 kind, of, we kind of like them. And, of course, that's, you don't have a national election for Republicans and Democrats in Congress. You vote for your individual congressman. So Democrats are trying to change the dialogue. Now, one of the things that Democrats have learned or experienced the hard way in Wisconsin is that it's not just enough to be against somebody. Scott Walker wins against Tom Barrett in 2010. Act 10 gets introduced. The world goes nuts in Wisconsin. And you have Democratic senators who flee the state. You have out-of-state activists come in. You have the big recall movement. And, and what happens? Tom Barrett runs in the recall election against Scott Walker, and Walker wins by a larger margin than he beat Barrett You know, uh, a year and a half, two years earlier. All right. But what was the, what was the message of the recall? It was, we don't like Scott Walker. And, and that... There, there's people that don't like Scott Walker, but that's the recipe for getting 46, 47 percent of the vote. And in order to win an election, you need 50 percent plus one. All right. So then you have the election that you know, Walker runs for reelection. It, it's the same sort of thing. Somebody runs against him. People don't even remember her name. Runs against him. She loses. But again, the, the, there's there's not a positive thing that's put out. It's well, gee, we don't like Scott Walker. We don't like Act 10. Well, you, you can't beat somebody by simply running against them. A mess, If there's any lesson that you learn, it's you, you saw this play out in Wisconsin. And, and Republicans have to learn this, too. Just being against somebody is, in my opinion, not enough. You have to stand for something. So now you have the National Democrats that are in disarray. I mean, small, smallest number of elected office holders in Lord knows how long. And you've got what they perceive to be a vulnerable, unpopular president. 
So they're wrestling with this idea, what do we do? Can you just can you run against the fact that people don't like Donald Trump or that, you know, if you believe the polls, if you believe the polls, a, a significant number of people don't like Donald Trump? Or do you have to do you have to come up with your own vision? So they have this big meeting and they've decided that they, they know how they they win elections. Here is the new slogan that they have come up with. Hope you're waiting for it. A better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future. Um, of course, this ties back into, I don't know, FDR and his New Deal. This is going to be the better deal. A better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future. And the centerpiece of the agenda is, is really we're going to throw red meat to the liberal wing of the party. We are going to... We're going to embrace the Bernie Sanders approach. We're going to argue that old-fashioned capitalism has broken down. The consumers are losing. We need bigger government. We need government to be more aggressive in enforcing various laws. We need to take back the government. That is the challenge. That is the winning agenda. We need big government. And we need government, big government to provide us the better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I, I think everybody wants to have a better future. Everybody wants to have, you know, better jobs. Everybody wants to have, you know, better wages, I guess. But the way the Democrats are advocating this is big government, mandatory minimum wage payments, government offering you all these different types of things. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have been listening to people predict that in 2018 it's going to be a debacle for the Republicans. And the fact that Trump, the argument is Trump will continue to be unpopular and this is going to be taken out on Republican legislators. You know what? I don't believe it. I don't believe it, and I will tell you this. I continue. If the idea is going to be we're going to try to pit traditional capitalism, conservative values against a big government philosophy, Bernie Sanders notwithstanding, I think this whole idea and the slogan, a better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future, dot, 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 essentially through big government, I think it's a loser. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this the game changer? Is this what America really wants? A return to the New Deal. Government guaranteeing minimum wages. Taking on the big corporations. Is that what we really want? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1144. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Good morning, this is Gordon Hinckley, WTMJ in Milwaukee, ready now for Ask Your Neighbor at 964-3070. anticipation of doing Ask Your Neighbor just breaks me up every time. Okay. 
1148, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I miss Gordon. Gordon was a great guy. All right, the Democrats, they, they've the big meeting over the weekend in Virginia. They've come out. They, they understand how they're going to win seats back. It's a new slogan, a, be, a better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future. Um, now, it doesn't say from big government, but when you break it down, they're talking about we want to go after, we want to have government go after the evil corporations. We want um, guaranteed minimum wage increases. So, you know, you're going to make more money because we're going to force employers to pay you that $15 an hour. It is a big sloppy wet kiss to the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren version and wing of the party. Is this a winner? Joe in Arlington Heights. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. I, I think th- I think this is a big, fat present for the Republicans because people just voters just saw what bigger government looked like under Obama, yep. and that's why they elected Republicans several times in yep. the interim and in the interim elections. And uh, quite frankly, the Republicans are pretty weak. They're fighting among themselves. Uh, Trump is shooting himself in the foot constantly. And if the Democrats took a more moderate approach or did the third way a la Clinton, they could eat the Republicans' lunch in the next election. Yeah, I, see, I agree with you that this idea that we're going to move hard left, that capitalism doesn't work, that the corporations are evil, that you need government to come in and guarantee mandatory minimum wages for people who are flipping burgers at $15 an hour and all, I, I think... That might be appealing to a certain segment of the voting base, but I don't think that's a winner uh, among, again, that, that giant middle class who wants, who, who believes in capitalism and the free market uh, economy and those type of things. I, I just don't think we want government taking care of us, or at least most people do, from cradle to grave. I, I agree with you, and I think if, if, there, if the voters hadn't rejected Obama's policies several times. Yeah, maybe the Democrats might be on something, but were they uh, were they just absent the last ten years? I, I you're right. Thanks. I mean, again, I and I think everybody tries to figure. Okay, this is a pendulum that's swinging. I don't see. I I just at the end of the day, I don't think. People want the big government. Now, the, now the slogan doesn't include big government, but when you break it down, it's a better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future. How do you accomplish that? Well, you're going to get better wages because we're going to mandate minimum wage increases. Everybody's going to get the $15 an hour. Better future? I don't know. To me, actually, it's getting mocked because it, it sounds a lot like, you know, the, the dominoes, uh, <laughs> the, the, the dominoes thing, which is, you know, uh, you know, better pizza, you know, better ingredients, better pizza. It's kind of like, you, you know, okay, better ingredients, better pizza. The Democrats are better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future. Okay, um, let's talk to Greg on the northwest side. Greg, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Well, well, thank you. Okay, is this a winning slogan? Is this a winning – is, is this the concept that wins elections? You know, the in my, in my humble opinion, <laughs> the Democrats shot themselves in a the foot 50 years ago when they shifted their policies from representing the middle and working classes to identity politics. Yeah. And they have continued to do that. You look at the look at the two thousand and ten midterms with the rising of the Tea Party. Right. Who were the Tea Partiers? Working class, middle class people. Yep. They told the Democrats we want something different. The Democrats said, No, they voted Republican or they voted Tea Party. Yep. It's, well, who it, is it? it who is it that put it, Trump over the top? How is it well, that exactly. Trump won with, with Michigan and Wisconsin? Exactly, it's the middle class 
voters who the big government thing didn't resonate for them. Well, even more than that, they just they have no representation. You know, the, the people, you know, I've heard people tell me, my liberal friends, say, do you actually think the Republicans are going to fill in the blank? Right. And my is probably not, but at least they're not going to hurt me either. Right. The Democrats will hurt me. My pocketbook, my my retirement, my my taxes, everything I go along, somebody's got to pay for that stuff. The one thing that the liberal Democrats don't seem to understand is there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Right, exactly. Somebody ends up paying for it. Thanks for the call. Great. Now, look, here. here is the challenge. Again, I, I understand that I am swimming against the mainstream when I say that I historically the party out of power has done well in me in midterm elections. Now, there's a couple things that end up making the electoral map look better for Republicans in the U.S. Senate. Republicans have a 52 to 48 majority, 46 Democrats, two liberal independents. Um, but. But the way it works is senators are up for election every six years. So in 2018, um, you have a lot of Democrats who won in 2012. That There's a lot more Democratic seats that are up for re-election than Republican seats. So that works well. But historically, again, the party out of power doesn't do well in midterms. I I look at this, though, and I say, you know, this is an interesting time in American history. And I appreciate that a lot of people don't necessarily like the style of President Trump. Trump. But the way the Republicans, in my opinion, are going to be judged is what they are able to accomplish. That's why it is frustrating to me in the state of Wisconsin that the budget is due July 1st. And here we are. It's almost the end of July. You don't have one. Things have to get done. There has to be, I think, some reform of Obamacare that goes through. I'm not smart enough to know exactly what that should be, although I have some theories. You've got to get tax reform done. You've got to, now that you have the keys to government, you've got to start up the car and you've got to take it out for a ride. If they do that, they will be just fine. If they don't, there could be problems.